Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And... The computer seems to be working right now. <laughs> oh my. Okay, so so Saturday. We're in the middle of the show. Good morning, multiverse. We're doing our thing. And I did not realize that the space heater was still on back over here. And because the space heater was on, and because the little movie poster marquee lights were on. It was just enough that during the broadcast, we lost power in the studio. And after we got everything back, everything seemed to be working okay. But then on Sunday, I started getting a lot of weird, glitchy things. And so I did a bunch of maintenance this morning, and then we're getting ready for the show tonight, and I get a pop-up that OBS, which is our control room software, has got an update. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get an update. And then suddenly OBS wasn't talking to any of the cameras. <laughs> I was like, I can't win for losing. Well, and <clears throat> on, on Saturday, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I have OBS here, and I use that for the graphics that I do for mm-hmm. the horror mm-hmm. recording. And that feeds into uh, the Zoom call that we we were talking on when we when we do that sort of thing. When it works, and <laughs> and it didn't work. It didn't show. It didn't show the images that I was putting up. Yeah, and I'm like, what, what's going on? I didn't. It didn't even register because I'm focused. I'm focused on reading my my right. stuff, and I'm like, <clears throat> and then we find out it didn't show up at all. It's like okay, but this is the fact that that is the minor issue that I had when considering that what two weeks ago. I had a computer that's hard drive was like going, yeah. uh, no. Yeah. So were and, you, were so were you looking at OBS at all and, and, and doing it? Cause you should have been able to see that it, what it was sending out. It were you not, in, were you not in studio mode? I was in studio mode. Yeah. That's weird. Why it wouldn't have gone out like so, that. Yeah. I mean, we'll have to no. <laughs> I have not gotten this notification saying I should update my uh, OBS. Now I, I'm on a Mac. Yeah, and... there are, there are different. Ma- there's a PC build, there's a Mac build, and there's a Linux build. Right. So, so it may be that, but it doesn't it doesn't make me you know uh-uh. super excited about the next update because despite the fact that I got the computer back up and I mean, you know I had a backup. I don't know. I lost five days five days mm. of information and unfortunately there were graphics that i have to rebuild because they went poof yeah um but that. um the uh for like the next three days every time i opened a program for the first time that day it would be like i don't know yeah do i want to open right I don't know. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> so the fact that everything is running at least as well as it is, is, is kind of a, <laughs> kind of cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so there we are. We should, I suppose we should say happy Valentine's day out to the world who is celebrating Valentine's day. I suppose, I suppose. 
Did you get, did you get Mrs. Boss something nice? I did get Mrs. Boss uh, something nice. Yes, I mean not yeah. not super expensive like a like five gallons of gas or anything, but I did get her something nice. So good. Okay. <laughs> I didn't I didn't get anybody anything nice. <laughs> you didn't even get yourself anything nice. Um, no. Okay. Christopher in the chat saying hi. Good evening. Good to hi, see Chris. you there. Um. Yeah, and I it was funny because I, I sent I sent you the text and I sent Christopher the text. I was like, "Don't update OBS. <laughs> Don't do it. Wait, it's a uh, trap. It's a trap." Oh uh, well, and and rolling back to the previous version, it still wouldn't talk to the cameras, and oh, no. I was like, "Okay, now what am I going to do?" Because it wasn't seeing any of them. And so I was like, oh, okay, we're going to have a problem now. Um, but uh, <laughs> that does lead me to uh, the fact that we've, we've set up StreamYard as a fallback. So if, if, some, if push comes to shove, we use StreamYard for that, which we might end up doing next week, uh, depending on whether or not we do a show, because it's going to be a was President's Day weekend. Uh, so we might or might not be doing a show yet. I'm not sure because, uh, Mrs. Boss and I are going to be traveling. So we got to make sure that if, if I'm sitting in front of a computer and we're able to do something, then, then maybe we'll do something. We'll see. I don't know. My son has told me that I need to take a break. You know, uh, as much as we like to do this often <laughs> and, you know, look folks, a weekly schedule for anything is, is not particularly easy for um production when when you're basically i mean jason does a lot of this stuff on his own guys i mean he does yeah. all, he, he carries he's you know and he has you know i mean mrs boss doesn't carry him completely he does work as well <laughs> speaking yeah and and i gotta work tomorrow too so so live from the bunker is going to be completely thrown off thrown off all week it's just it this week's going to be a mess all the way around so anyway. but you know taking time off is okay we we it's I I get reminded every year, and we had a we had a <laughs> my company had a staff meeting today, and there was actually a section on this in the meeting. It's like, okay, we give you guys vacation time for a reason. Yes, you need to take it. Yeah, <laughs> take time off. I know. All right, all right, all right, all right. And <clears throat> I wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting subtweeted. Um, it, we had new employees to to have to have that conversation with, uh, but uh, I felt I felt scene <laughs> <laughs> well considering how many times you've actually had that conversation uh every I, year every me. year for like the last three years it's yeah. like you realize how much how much vacation time you're losing that's not going to roll over in the next year <laughs> yes i know <laughs> i just uh, i'm okay guys literally from the age of like 18 on basically taking time off was just not a thing that worked because I was in retail for so many years, um, whether it was retail food or retail books. Um, and if I'm sure all those of you who have worked retail know that they, they tell you, you have vacation time. <laughs> well, and I, I'm one of those people who, if I, I get antsy if I'm on vacation, you know, I was like, I need to be doing something. I'm so used to working, whether it's doing this or stagehand work or production work or anything like that. And if I'm just not doing anything, 
I get a little stir crazy pretty quick. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with, with time off. When my little brother got married, because my family is really bad at vacations. Okay. We're, we're, we're really bad at, this is, so it's, it's not just me. It's just, I, this is how I was raised. Yeah. And my brother, my brother and his, and his wife to be were like, yeah, we're going to make him take a vacation. So they basically were like, you're, you're, we're getting married in Jamaica and you're coming with us. And it was seven <laughs> days uh, uh, counting, counting flight time. Yeah. Um, and they got married on the last day. So we had like five days where we were like forced to not work. Yeah. <clears throat> and by day three, I was opening the bar. <laughs> I know. I was like, I, I, a lot of times we, when we go visit my folks, <clears throat> we, um, we don't really go very many places. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know what this week is going to be like. I may be sitting around twiddling my thumbs and thinking, ah, this guy. Now I joke, but it was really, really nice. And, and I don't, I don't travel enough. And so the fact that I was able to go to Jamaica and spend time on a beach and just relax, it, it actually was really nice. I'm not, I'm not complaining that my brother made us take a vacation, Yeah. but the only other real vacation that I, I've ever really taken, um, I went to, to went to, you know, uh, Europe for three weeks. Yeah. So it was a week in London, week in Paris, week in Edinburgh. And I had a wonderful time aside from the fact that my relationship, the, my girlfriend at the time that was, we learned over the course of the three weeks traveling that the relationship needed to come to an end, but mm. which is the flight back was awkward, but, um, <clears throat> but, but other than, but I mean, the trip, the, the, the travel and doing all that stuff was really exciting and fun. And I'd love to do it again. That's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I'd be more than happy to to. I wouldn't be, be I wouldn't be bored exploring a city. Yeah, you know. So. Ms. Mrs. Boss chiming in there. My parents have an amazing couch. She says. No, oh, I also had a good. I also had a fun trip to New York as well. Can't can't leave that out. Yeah. But all right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's... we should probably get to our topic for the evening. Um, not a not a. Well, I mean, it's not a fun topic, but it is it is something where we get to uh, we get to reminisce a little bit about our formative years, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. uh, last week, we had the word that uh, Douglas Trumbull had passed away after cancer and a brain tumor and a stroke. And then I believe yesterday we got the word that Ivan Reitman had died. I, I don't know that I saw a cause of death there. Was it was it heart or I, I can't know. remember if I'm I saw sure one. I saw one either. Uh, neither, neither gentleman was actually terribly young. Yeah. Um, and and Trumbull was seventy nine. Reitman was seventy five. And they had, I mean, they had full lives. They they did a lot yeah. and. Um, as, as, you know, obviously, obviously they're, you know, condolences to their families and, and, and friends and, and their fans, but these were prolific guys. These, these are yeah. people who, 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 who filled those years. Well, they didn't, they weren't slouching around. Um, they were producing some stuff that quite frankly, um, <laughs> Trumbull, um, I don't know the visual feeling of science fiction for <laughs> decades. Pretty much everything. Yeah. Oh, you want to? Yeah, start, I mean, we'll start with him. So you've got 
um, in the beginning, <clears throat> you know, he's got this small uh, going to the moon video that he did that ends up getting him the job with Kubrick for 2001 A Space Odyssey. Little picture. You might yeah, have heard of it. Might have heard of it. And I'm really surprised, well, maybe, uh, kind of not, that Kubrick is the one who got the Oscar for the visual effects, not Trumbull. Even though Trumbull is the one who did the work for the visual effects, including coming up with the slit scan effect from scratch, which is, you know, as soon as Dave Borman falls into the, the monolith and, you know, my God, it's full of stars. And he goes through that whole that whole sequence where he's traveling into this new dimension. All of that effect, all of that streaming, screaming color and everything that was uh, that was completely crafted by by Trumbull from scratch. It, nobody nobody had that before. And then, turns out he's doing a uh, he's doing a thing because um, I read I read a, a, a obituary for uh, Robert Blaylack, who was a co-founder of ILM, and Blaylack and John Dykstra met while they were doing a documentary on Douglas Trumbull. Mm-hmm. So Trumbull wasn't involved in ILM at the beginning, but. You had all three of them were right there because you had, when you think of visual effects, you think of Douglas Trumbull, you think of John Dykstra, and you think of Phil Tippett because Tippett was the, he's the modern day Ray Harryhausen with the stop motion and stuff. And Dykstra, of course, went on to do special effects for Battlestar Galactica in addition to all of the Star Wars stuff. And Trumbull went on to do Star Trek The Motion Picture which, you know, he tells the story, you know, Robert Wise brings him in and says, save my movie. <laughs> and I guess he did, kind of. Especially under the timetable that film was working on. I mean, oh, yeah. when you consider that the film was released with unfinished special effects. <clears throat> well, and, and Trumbull it, said they were doing three shifts, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for what, six months? Something yeah. like and that, it still, and it still wasn't done when they when the when the picture opened. Yeah, and finally, we actually have what that film was meant to look like, which is which is oh. fantastic. No, 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 we don't, not yet. Oh, I know it's coming. It's, it, the, the, yeah, we, I can't. So the direct the wait director's for the cut came out, and it was the director's cut came out, and it was a, a light year improvement. Yeah. Um, and finally, got a just, sound mix. Got yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it was it was literally the the thing that you you would. If you were a fan of, of the motion picture and, and a Star Trek fan who recognized that the motion picture was a very impressive first film yeah. for the franchise, but it was also not as engaging as it might have been. The director's cut largely solved a lot of the pacing issues and the visual texture of things and a lot of the incomplete effects yeah. were completed. But now we're getting an even better version Oh, I know. Very they're, exciting. They're taking. I, I've seen. I've seen some stuff uh, that people have been posting online. Some stills, uh, you know, side by side comparisons and whatnot. And the 4K is going. I think they're doing original scans 
from the from the negative mm-hmm. and start that's their starting point so yeah. uh, like this it's, is uh, going to look it, really good could. <laughs> yeah um yeah now trumbull um trumbull did a little film that i so when i was when i was really getting into science fiction films and i was on basically going out and just discovering this stuff from my own during the videotape era. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, go off to college and hit the video stores and come back and binge movies and things like that. And I had seen silent running 1972 science fiction with my dad. um, That was the first film that he directed. So yeah, some, some Saturday afternoon we're watching it and, but I had not seen it in a long, long time. And I remember being, not terribly impressed by it when I was younger, you know, 12, 13 years old or something. And while it is not, it's a, it, it, it has not aged well in some ways. Visually, it's still a stunning movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that, that when you look at what, and this was this was a, a criticism that 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 movie reviewers had for Trumbull's films when he was there. This and Brainstorm, they looked amazing. The character work was not as strong. There was some criticism of, of both that this film and Brainstorm. Right. Um, but we we've talked about dystopian futures on this show more than once. Mm-hmm. But the silent running dystopian future, you know, is a world where there's no plant life left on earth. It's all being kept in these, you know, um, uh, spaceships. And then someone decides it's not worth the money anymore. And I mean, that's, it was, it's, it's, it's a, you know, we don't think about the kind of dystopia that that's generally not, you know, we, we get the after the fall, right? We don't get the, we just decide not to spend money on it anymore. Dystopia. Um, which is, you know, it's death by bureaucracy, death, death by accountant. And which is probably one of the more believable apocalyptic scenarios, right? Well, it's a slow motion apocalypse. It's not like, you know, it's not a, there's this big dramatic event. It's a whole bunch of series of events that ends up with these just floating gardens in space. And then someone goes, you know, we could, we could use that for stuff for something else. And but what's really important about this film, if when if you if you've never seen the film, folks, um, I definitely recommend watching it. But be aware it's not a fast-paced picture. Right. Um, it's it's got a, it's it's got there's there's scenes of action, um, but it's that's not what the film is about. Um, it's like I said, it's it's a very visually interesting film. But you'll recognize a lot of things as you watch this film. Remember, it was 1972. It preceded a small little picture called Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And you can see the origins of R2-D2 in Silent Run. Because that's what Lucas wanted for his robots looking at the robots in silent running he wanted his own he wanted you know its own thing right but that's where he got that this is where r2d2 was born in 1972 in a different movie um 
and it's um and there's the robots in those film in that film are fairly still fairly believable robots in terms of like design and 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 functionality when you think about what we can actually build right that isn't you know a boston dynamics terabot Well, and I'm trying um, to find I'm trying to find a picture of the droid. Well, here's 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 one. Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Yeah, isn't this is this this is uh, where is it? Oh, here this. That's one of them, right? That's one of them. Yeah. yeah. So they're these basically, you know, uh, uh, boxes with with little appendages that come out. Oh. And you look at some of this stuff, and you see. You look at the design of this film and you can see like so many of the other films he did production design on. He, he designed the look for so much of science fiction has flowed out of this stuff. Um, well, you, know, you, and it's... you look at the droids from, say, Interstellar, those those boxy droids. Yeah. Follow it back to here. You can look at, um, you know, just a, so much of the of the way he that he designed these worlds, designed the look of these things yeah. has influence so much following and you would not get a film like this particular movie i think in science fiction until alex garland came along because he was doing the more meditative kind of yeah uh uh, i'm not going to say philosophical so much but if you look at the underpinnings of something about um ex machina where the the fact that there is a fully functioning AI in a humanoid form is almost less important to the story, to the fact that the the humans involved are terribly, terribly flawed people mm-hmm. uh, who sort of set up their own, uh, if you've not seen the film, I guess let's not spoil it, set up their own destinies um, on their own. <laughs> AI, AI, uh, leave left that aside, and the humans yeah. in in um, Silent Running do it to themselves. I mean, they the the consequences of their actions. I mean, it's all the science fiction is the setting yeah. for this story. It's not about um, there's a and again we have that lived in quality that mm-hmm. Star Wars would really be it would be, be very important to the aesthetic of Star Wars. This is also one of those films where that that sense of it's not a glossy, bright future. Right. It's a place we go to work in. Well, and this and this particular ship, <clears throat> I think this showed up in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, I'm sure it it's did. very it's um, at least very close to the to the to the hydroponic ships that were in Galactica. Oh, yeah. So I'm Again, I'm guessing there was some borrowing here because you know, Dykstra knew Trumbull. Sure. Uh, Christopher says Arrow Video has a great restoration special edition Blu-ray of Silent Running. Mm. And it, uh, Bruce Dern is the uh, is the star is the human star as opposed to the robot stars he would do in Um And I think this was probably one of my earliest exposures to Bruce Dern as an actor. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't think I don't think it's his best work. But it's well, a film. He's, he's not a villain in this one. 
he's not exactly a hero either. And that's well, and that's one of the things that's really interesting about this film is that flawed person is different from villain. Right. Oh, he's he's uh, he, well, uh, he he does some things that fall under villain category. But the reasons he he does them, that's mm. what makes the film interesting. So, oh. uh, again, if you've not seen it, folks, if nothing else, just to see uh, some really just beautiful work from, you know, this is he's following up 2001. <clears throat> and and he's he's doing this sort of same kind of meditative um, uh, concept driven science fiction, right. which really we would not see again for a while because star wars would come out and it would change the landscape for what science fiction in, in on the big screen would look like for a long time well in the little uh, screen too because you know Battles, oh yeah. battlestar galactica buck rogers um uh what was the other one that was out about that time you had logan's run which was not in space but still the aesthetic and, you know, we've got to do pew pew laser guns and running right. and jumping and chasing and and that kind of thing. And then and then, you know, 1980 comes around and you get Flash Gordon. Yep. Oh, ah. well, I mean, and, and I think that, again, we, we've reached that point now where the the marketplace is more receptive mm-hmm. to um you know that kind of storytelling again like you you could make a silent running kind of movie now and have the audience for it no. that you wouldn't necessarily have in like 1980 well you look at interstellar you look at contact mm-hmm. uh there was one other one what was the other one um but see i would i would say though that if you look at something like interstellar I don't know that that movie would have been made without Christopher Nolan succeeding with the Batman trilogy. Because you had Memento, which some people had ha- had seen, and there's a lot of a lot of praise for that movie. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Dark Knight trilogy. And suddenly Christopher Nolan is a household name and he's bankable now. Mm-hmm. So now the studio is willing to take a few risks that they might well, not otherwise yeah. have wanted to do. So, and it wasn't a cheap picture. Yeah. A little, little pricey, but again, you think you, you, there's now this market for science fiction that is, Again, I mean, because it existed before, you know, it, it, it cycles back around, right? That's yeah. how this stuff works. Um, where you're getting into the, the philosophy side of things, as much as the storytelling side of things, the action sequences side of things, the, the drama, the, the human drama um, takes a larger place than to the, you know, ray guns and, and spaceships zipping around and there's yeah. nothing wrong with ray guns and spaceships zipping around that's all but well and and you know you look at you look at trumbull's work in in star trek the motion picture i mean you've got a five five or six minute sequence there where we're just flying around the ship and you mm-hmm. don't really get to see much of the ship until you see the ship and you got the big reveal and everything of the first time we see the enterprise 
Oh, it's, um, and... I believe the phrase has, has come to be called starship porn. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Trumbull talks about that. And he's like, uh, you know, when they were shooting all of this, they were making up the equipment. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the periscope lenses and, and all of the different things, because everything that had already been shot, they couldn't use. So right. they basically had to they had to rebuild the model. And Trumbull was like, you have to, because he's talking in terms of key light and fill light and, you know, as a cinematographer. And he's like, well, you know, you've got this spaceship in space where there are no light sources. How does it, how do we, where do you explain the key and fill light? And he's like, well, it can just light up itself. So they ended up having to take the model apart and, and light it. And put it all back together and, and reshoot everything that had already been shot. They had to redo everything. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I cannot fathom coming on board a project that late in the game to finish. And, and even then they didn't. But, you know, to at least get to the point where it's watchable. Mm-hmm. With so many shots that you have to get done. I mean, it's just, just I, I just, yeah, I try to wrap my head around that, and I'm thinking, you know, I just, I don't know that I could do it. <laughs> well, also bear in mind, in 1978, um, he was not that old. He was born in 1964. Yeah. I mean, he was doing 1978 Star Trek: The Motion Picture. He'd already done 2001 at this point. He'd already done Silent Running. And the fact that, I mean, when you consider how young he was on, on 2001, um, he you know, was 23, 24 years old. Yeah, he was born in 42. Um, so, uh, yeah, 42, sorry. I said 64. Uh, 64 is when he started working. Um, he, you know, he basically was carving out the visual space that defined what science fiction looked like. Yeah. Um, for literally to this day, uh, the, I mean, the, you think about, there are some artists who have that kind of lasting impact on, on the genre. And you look at, you know, on, on the, on the fantasy side of things, every, every sword and sorcery film, owes frank frazetta <laughs> you know for for its aesthetic um there you know the high fantasy stuff you're looking at folks like uh mobius right i mm-hmm. mean these some of these some of these you know in the bio horror space you're looking at hr Geiger. you're looking i mean these are folks who who defined what this thing is yeah and starships and what the future looks like, Douglas Trumbull told us what it was. Yeah. Which is a pretty impressive legacy. Well, and not only that, but, you know, it's, it's, there's such a heavy impact on how the visual effects were realized, you know, from a, <clears throat> excuse me, from a technology side of things, because, mm-hmm. You know, we, we see the interviews and all of this stuff about Star Wars and how, you know, Lucas and Dykstra and Blalock and all those guys had to basically start everything from scratch because at that point the studios were all doing crime pictures and nobody was doing anything with special effects. 
Mm. And Trumbull pretty much was the only one outside of advertising people who were doing any of it. I mean, you know, you look at you look at what they had to come up with with Tron. You know, tr- the Tron special effects were all all uh, ad advertising people that came up with that. And yeah. you know, the the beginnings of ILM, I'm sure, were influenced by Trumbull and his work with with. 2001 and silent running and, and all of that but then you oh, have a little picture called close encounters yeah well the, yes that too another one but you look at all of the stuff that he's got on his on his resume i mean uh blade runner yeah that and, one and the thing about blade runner i mean you if you, so much of that film is um you look at the effects on that on the, the that classic iconic cityscape shot, right? Mm-hmm. Where the, the speeder is flying over. That's a miniature. Yeah. With what it's got so many wires li- li- underneath it. And they filmed this in repeated shots because they had they had com- motion controlled cameras, right? Mm-hmm. And so they would repeat the shot. That's not not anything in that shot is a is a computer generated effect. It's all layers on the film. So it's different exposures of the film again and again and again and again. And it's all sitting on top of that original exposure. So you see like the the fires jetting up. Mm -hmm. Those were a thing that were filmed and and it, it. it's almost like everything was done in camera. But yeah. it was only possible to do it that way because they had motion control cameras and they could repeat the shot. And it's just, I mean, the effects work in that film holds up because they really had worked out so many of these effects and were very good at inventing the ones they hadn't come up with yet yeah because the motion control stuff they they were figuring uh they were figuring that stuff out on um on star wars Mm -hmm. and that was the first time that anybody had married cameras to computers and it wasn't like it wasn't like the computers of today there's the there's the the part of the miniature there with trumbull but it wasn't like any, any of the computers that you got now this was, you know, we have to program it in what ASCII or COBOL or whatever it was, you know, machine language. It's like, yeah, this was this was, and, and the thing is, is that you couldn't actually see what you had done the way you can now. Like you right. can't, you can't watch, you know. Now, now they've got setups where you can basically, um, if you're if you're doing an animated scene where you're using live action as a reference, Mm -hmm. you can now watch a rough of the animation on top of the actors in real time. Yeah, the game engine stuff. It's crazy. You couldn't do that then. No. (laughs) Well, and and you you, you couldn't identify a mistake until you saw it. And then you had to go back in and figure out, okay, where in all of this massive pile of code is that mistake we got to fix well and then you wouldn't even know that you made that mistake till you, you got the film back yeah film. um so yeah i mean it's it's the complication uh the complications and, and the amount of work 
And yet one of the most amazing and just beautiful, simple effects. And, and he's one of the, that, that I think has ever been put to science fiction film is that floating pen in 2001. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> which is a pen lightly glued to a sheet of glass. And it looks like it's floating because you can see through the glass. It's not, it's lit. So it's not casting a reflection mm. of any kind. And it's a gorgeous, beautiful effect. Yeah. And I mean, you know, this is, it didn't require a computer. It just required some clever people. Yeah. Christopher says Hampton Fincher stated French sci-fi comics influenced the look of Blade Runner, but Trumbull had to turn those concepts into reality. Yeah. And, right. and you look at some of the stuff, the French, French, and I think some Italian artists, because uh, Mobius was a big influence, but you look at the artwork that you'd find in stuff like heavy metal mm -hmm. uh, or metal hurlant, uh, you know, as it, as it's originally known and the kind of artwork that's there, I would love you know, we talk about doing a print edition of, of a magazine at some point. I would love to have a cover that's like that. You know, mm -hmm. I want to I want to I want to do something evocative of heavy metal or star log, you know, that sort of thing. And you know, or wizard sure. <clears throat> and then have some stuff inside, you know, have some get some line art and whatever. But. But mix up the different styles because Mobius was right. a huge influence on an entire generation of artists. But then oh, you've yeah. also got people like, uh, you know, Jack Kirby, Boris Vallejo and uh, and Julie Bell. And, you know, Joe Jusco now talks about, you know, Boris's influence on him, Frazetta's influence on him. So you have these you have the the modern era current year artists who were heavily influenced by all of that. And, sure. you know, like, yeah, like Christopher says, Trumbull's got to turn all of that two-dimensional artwork into something actual physical here with the models and the miniatures and everything else. None of it's computer generated because they didn't have it back then. Well, and at this point he's doing Blade Runner. He was burnt out on doing space movies. He was like, I've done, I've done this. Yeah. You know, he was like, I've done all I can in this space. <laughs> I've I've basically built the foundation for every everybody who's going to follow me. Yeah, I think it's time to move on to, to dystopian but, futures. But when you're one of you're one of a handful <clears throat> who does everything, it's funny because every time every time I'm watching a film these days, um, you know, you watch the credits. You have there's one guy. Conrad Buff, who does the sound mix, the sound editing for every movie. I mean, you, I, I, I challenge you to find a movie where Conrad Buff's name is not in the end credits as sound editor. Every time yeah, I'm going through. Yep, there he is. There he is. I said, what is the what is the Hollywood machine going to do when Conrad Buff retires? Um, I, one imagines that he has been training his replacement. I I would hope so, but I'm like, or someone oh, okay. or someone is paying someone to to sit at his his <laughs> knee and go, please, please sir, teach, me, teach please. me your ways. But I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, 
what happens what happens when that name is gone and and it's not a, you know it's not a name that that anybody really would pay attention to but he's responsible for the sound mix of everything and just like with the visuals the sound especially on star uh, on on science fiction pictures the sound mix makes a huge difference i mean we talked about star trek the motion picture the director's cut is the first time we got any kind of an actual sound mix because there wasn't enough time to finish it. So mm. there are sound effects that are missing. There's there's music that's not there. There's, uh, you know, things in the surround mix that aren't there. Uh, you look at the, the Klingon sequence at the beginning when they fire three torpedoes, right? And... You hear in the in the new mix, the director's cut, you hear the alert of the torpedo disappearing. You see one of them. You know, you get the visual and you see one of them disappear. And there's a little alert sign. And then they flip back to the two Klingons sitting at the console and then they flip back. And in the original theatrical, all of a sudden the other two torpedoes are gone. But now in the sound mix, you have that little alert sound effect that says, this one's gone, this one's mm-hmm. gone, this one's gone. So when you cut back now, you see they're all gone. And it's little stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, with the with the floating pen, you know, it's it's stuff that you don't necessarily notice but it makes a huge difference in the final outcome of, of what you're looking at because it looks effortless. Well, and, and you consider that a film like Brainstorm, which was almost his last movie. Yeah. Because uh, that was the film during the, during the course of that film being shot, Natalie Wood drowned. Yeah, and she was in that picture. Yeah, she's in that film, and it was, it was her last movie. Um. But it was not, it did not get turned into the, you know, her last film kind mm-hmm. of marketing thing that, that sometimes you would see because, quite frankly, MGM was like, let's just stop. Yeah. And he wanted to keep making his movie and they fought him for a long time. It actually came up two, uh, two years after she had died um, and didn't do well in theaters. Um, but it's got some fantastic performances in it. And it's a very, it's an interesting movie. And he finished part of the film by getting his, her sister in to, to serve as a stand in. And, and um, I mean, it's, it, he was, he was very, he was very insistent on getting the film done, but it really burnt him out on actually making movies for a while. Yeah. Um, but he returned, he returned. And, and, and again, the, the man's, the man's influence really was, um, just just it, it, it cannot be there's no way to talk about 20th century the, the the way that science fiction films in the 20th century and and to this day you cannot talk about them without talking about trouble no it's just it's just not a thing you can do I mean, you can but you're wrong well and you, and you can't really <clears throat> even even if you're looking at the development of ILM or Pixar or, you know, Apogee, which is Dykstra's outfit, you know, mm-hmm. the stuff that the stuff that came up with for Tron, all of that stuff. Trumbull's work is the foundation for all of it, because 
without Trumbull doing 2001, you don't have Star Wars. And, you know, without without him doing Close Encounters, you don't have Blade Runner. You don't have Ghostbusters. You don't have, you know, all of these things. Because the visuals and all of that and the processes that are developed, they've been handed down and passed around, and now everybody knows how to do all this stuff. Trumbull's the one who came up with it. Right. I mean, he and he wasn't he wasn't the only person doing this at, at this time. You know, there was he was one of four people who worked on on 2001 yeah. in, in, in the same role. But he kept on with it. And and he, he really did build a space that cannot cannot be minimized. I mean, he is he is literally one of those people who defined what we think of as science fiction. Yeah. Visually. So that's I mean, it's a hell of a legacy. I mean, that's it is. cannot can't complain about that no well and we mentioned ghostbusters that takes us to ivan reitman let me do this uh real quick let's take a very quick break and when we get back we'll discuss the legacy of ivan reitman uh here on the h2o podcast stand by don't go anywhere speaking our minds because cthulhu told us to this is sci-fi for me radio Hi everyone, Jason Hunt here, inviting you to join us every Saturday for news, science fiction, fantasy, and horror headlines from the week, plus interviews, updates on events going on around the world, and the weather forecast for the same. It's all wrapped up in one neat package for your weekend. We call it Good Morning Multiverse, every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Live from the Bunker, Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Back on the H2O podcast, Jason Hunt along with Tim Harvey. Hello. And now we get to talk about the other influence from the 80s. Mr. Ivan Reitman, who um, was responsible for a whole lot more than you might think. He's best known for the little film called Cannibal Girls, 1973. <laughs> which is actually a, a, a film from 1973 that he is, in fact, the director uh, for. Wasn't that one of uh, his first pictures? Yeah, uh, Foxy Lady uh, was, was his first feature. And then um, uh, Cannibal Girls. Uh, which is an exploitation picture. It's a, it's, it's exactly what you would think it would be. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen it. Um, I but, haven't uh, either. Um, but it did get him uh, further work because sure. wasn't wasn't it didn't Cannibal Girls get him to uh, SCTV? I mean, he was doing he was doing Canadian television at that point then. Right? Yeah, and the, by '79 he was doing Meatballs. Remember Meatballs? Yeah. Yeah, I never saw any of these. Oh, see his early stuff. So meatballs, stripes. So it was meat. It was meatballs, stripes, um, and then Ghostbusters. Now, uh, meatballs and stripes were back in the days of uh, Bill Murray, and it was, this was your this was your your Saturday Night Live folks doing this early this early cast of Saturday Night Live doing films, and so you've got your your stripes and your caddyshacks and your meatballs and your things like that. Well, these and, were all... and you had animal house on top of that and he didn't direct right. that one, but he was a producer no, no. on it. But this was, this was the era of sort of the, the college comedy, the camp comedy, the, 
the horny teenager comedies. This yeah. is really, you know, this is this is that whole genre of film story. Um, but they're very broad. And the thing is, is that in terms of comedies, um, some of this stuff, I mean, some of the some of the jokes haven't aged well, but some of the comedy still holds up. It's it's they were they were built broad enough in terms of in terms of the type of humor that it was it, it wasn't at the same level like the airplane movies where they threw so many jokes at you that statistically speaking some of them were going to land yeah um and they came at you so fast you laughed at least once a minute because there was just so many jokes you couldn't you couldn't help it this, it wasn't like that but they still they were hitting the, they're hitting those really like broad classic comedy strokes um so some of this stuff actually holds up not perfectly but pretty well yeah 20 30 years later ouch um well, I, well actually the case in you know 1970 1979 <clears throat> years later yeah 40 yeah um yeah but i mean it's <laughs> but there's still some there's still entertainment out there and i mean of course stripes was another bill murray uh uh broad broad comedy but i you know uh we think about ghostbusters and of course it's had it's had such a this this gigantic legacy so I, much so that you know i was not was aware gonna... that it had been written for for john belushi right yeah the original right. the original plan was for this to be a belushi vehicle and then it'd be a very very different film and honestly uh, yeah i don't know don't know i mean because you look at the you look at the blues brothers right and you can't think of anybody else playing uh that part than john belushi yeah. right john belushi and dan Aykroyd. that that's the movie right without them it doesn't work we know because there was a sequel it didn't work <laughs> um but the thing is is that the idea that ghosts and, and we've talked about films that are lightning in a bottle it's it it hits it, it can't be reproduced and and you could argue that that that's been one of the issues with the Ghostbusters sequels and remakes um, is that they were in many ways they were trying both both the sequel that the original crew cast and crew made and the 2016 re remake is that they tried too much to yeah. be the film that you can't reproduce because it was a lightning in the bottle picture. But imagine if it was John Belushi the dynamic of that movie completely changes. See, and I'm I'm trying to figure which character, and it ha it would have to be uh, the uh, the character that Bill Murray ended up playing. Right. Well, and, and then if it had been if it had been Eddie, Eddie Murphy in in the Winston role, which was the original plan too. So just think, I mean, all all the things, so much of so much of what makes that movie what it is and the classic in some people's minds, that entire chemistry would have been different if it had Oh yeah. I mean, and I, I and I don't we would be potentially could be saying, well, you know, it's one of those early films like Stripes, which the comedy still holds <laughs> up. <laughs> but you know. But I, it, it, it was the film it was. Yeah. And, I, and I've got to say, I am so glad that we got Ghostbusters Afterlife when we, when did. we did. Yeah. Because it was almost I mean, too late. I mean, it really, 
with with Harold Ramis being already gone, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, and who knows if if Ivan Reitman was ill or or what, but you know, it, it, he could have gone at any point. In which case, you know, Ghostbusters Afterlife would be done. Well, and 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 it, I mean, as it it could have served as a tribute to him. Yeah. Uh, and to, to a large degree. And it, I think it, I think it does still, even so, but even more so if that happened. But no, the fact that the fact that he got to be involved in a film that both you and I think is a worthy successor um, is 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 great. I think there's there's something there's something really nice about that. Yeah. Um, but I was I was interested because I was there were some of some of the films that he has on his filmography. I had forgotten he made. I had <laughs> forgotten he did Legal Eagles. And I remember seeing that in the theaters. And yeah, Robert Redford, Deborah Winger, Daryl Hannah. Um, that was Brian one of Daryl Hannah's very that was one of Daryl Hannah's early pictures because she did that. I think, I think it was I think it was right after she'd done Splash. <laughs> yeah um terrence stamp is in that movie i mean it is and it's a very kind of just entertaining sort of cute comedy movie it's it worked and i completely forgot he would he made that film um he's got a lot he's got a lot that you look at i mean six days seven nights uh, kindergarten Cop. He directed the Ghostbusters music video for Ray Parker Jr. Um, he made Evolution, and Evolution is a film that did not get a lot of love. No. Um, <laughs> but I have to say, I thought I was entertained by it. It's not a great movie. Wow. But I was perfectly entertained by it. I mean, it's David Duchovny, right? Uh, kind of trying to throw off his x-files uh image um orlando jones um and it's basically to some degree it's ghostbusters again only with aliens Mm -hmm. and i think that's part of the problem with the movie (laughs) (laughs) you could do you could do a double feature a double feature with uh evolution and uh idiocracy Maybe, maybe I, 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 it's not a great movie, but I was, I did enjoy watching it. I laughed enough Yeah, that it's, it's a, you know, two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. You don't have anything to do. Evolution is a perfectly, perfectly pleasant thing to watch. What life are you living where you don't have anything to do at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday? I'm not talking about me at all. I'm talking about our audience who, who hopefully has time to do such things. Um, I, I never have time to do any of that. But you know, I mean, I, it's it's a it's fun. Um, it's it's not great, but it's fun. Yeah. See, and and it's and it's not really not really embarrassing to say, but I I will admit there are a lot of films that came out during that time. You know, in the eighties and the nineties, especially, sure. but but early nineties and and eighties. That I didn't have any interest in, 
because right. you know I I was never one of these big fans of broad comedy slapstick you know that kind of thing the Animal House type stuff and if it wasn't science fiction I wasn't really it didn't really pop up mm-hmm. on my radar I mean I remember when Legal sure. Eagles came out and I thought oh it's got Deborah Hannah in it or Daryl Hannah in it okay. And I never got around to seeing it because it wasn't science fiction. I didn't I didn't put it on my priority list. I'm like, well, OK, right. you know, well, I may I'll get around to seeing it maybe eventually someday, you know, and I'm still that way, even though I'm kind of fighting burnout. But, you know, part of that is what we do here. And, and I just get right. I just get so overwhelmed with all of that. But. <laughs> There's so much. There is. There is. And a lot of it's garbage. <laughs> I'm like, do I have to watch this? Do I have so to So the, the downside of having all these, these streaming services where you can get all this great content is yes. that the, great, the streaming <laughs> so, services have to fill yeah, that so, space. Some of it's which not means great. A, a lot of it that would go straight to video and you would find uh, at at one o'clock in the morning as the 24-hour video store mm. is completely mm-hmm. deserted you stumble across the the thing with the with the cover art that's like, yeah, I'll take this home. Yeah. And it's terrible. And there was a lot of that stuff during the video days. Now oh, it's all up on yeah. the streaming services. Well, and you can look... For good and for real. And, and a lot of those still do the poster art the way they did back oh, in the sure. day, where you'd get the stuff that's that it kind of looks like Transformers, but it's not Transformers, or it kind of looks like the Terminator, but it's not really right. the Terminator. And right. maybe they're figuring you're going to pick it up by accident, thinking that it's the Terminator, and it's and not. It's, it's not just the <laughs> Asylum doing it anymore. Oh, the right. Asylum paved the way, but they're oh. they're far from the only ones who are doing it, and they weren't the only ones doing it back in the day either. Yeah. We should probably do some promotional <laughs> artwork that's all of these different, you know, all of these different styles of, you know, these different movie posters and whatnot and just come up with our own version. We should do a Mockbusters <laughs> episode where we, we we talk about some of the ones that we've seen because there there's a few that I've I've actually actually watched. Yeah. But we talk about the films that he he directed and No Strings Attached, uh, Father's Day, Junior, um, Kindergarten Cop, Dave. Dave, which is Dave is, is a good is a good movie. Is just a charming movie. Um, but you think of the, the things he produced. He produced Animal House. He produced Heavy Metal. Which is coming to 4K uh, and Ultra yeah. HD next uh, in, in April. And yeah, uh, it's gonna be so cool to look at. Yeah, I know. Uh, right? Space Jam. Um, private parts. If you're if you're a fan of of you know. Howard Stern type of, of talk radio um, up in the air. Would you uh, consider Howard Stern talk radio, though? I mean, I, well, I'd see him more in the shock jock category than the talk radio. The problem is, is that the definition of talk radio now doesn't mean what it used to mean. It's now pretty much if you got one person who's hosting a show and they're talking, they're interviewing somebody, it's become talk radio or even if it's a podcast it's basically yeah. talk radio well i mean this is a talk show sure right yeah um but uh and for the folks who are not fans of the 2016 ghostbusters movie bear in mind he produced that as well 
So, I mean, he's, you know, he, he had his hand in a lot of films beyond the stuff he directed. I mean, he was, yeah. he didn't stop having the impact on the industry at, in the 80s or the early 2000s. He was, I, still, he was still hard at work. I'm looking at this and I'm seeing these, these announced projects that are on his IMDb listing. Mm -hmm. And a couple of them uh, are kind of a surprise. Untitled Animated Ghostbusters Project. There's that one. Ghostbusters mm -hmm. Ecto Force, a TV series announced. Mm -hmm. And a Stripes TV series <laughs> announced. Now, whether or not these things are going to go forward, who knows? You know, they've been announced. Mm -hmm. But this is, I, I, I was not aware that we were getting a Ghostbusters TV series. Two of them. So the success of Ghostbusters Afterlife, I could easily see there being television spinoffs. Um, I can also see there being a Stripes TV series that plays for one season on Netflix and <laughs> is not renewed. Right. Um, I, I mean, Stripes is... is Okay. How do you how do you do that now in the modern era though? Because well, it's just like it's just is, like Blazing Saddles. Nobody would nobody would be able to make Blazing Saddles nowadays. Oh, so no, the you couldn't the, the, make the, the, it. No, the problem with doing stripes. The problem with doing stripes is that when you're trying to do a film based in the military or TV series based in the military, audiences these days are going to look at that and, and they're actually going to want to see something that looks like the way things kind of are. Top Gun. As opposed to as opposed to the sort of fantasy. Hale's Navy, right, is not yeah. the Navy. Um, Down Periscope, Kelsey Grammer movie you probably haven't seen, is not the Navy. Right. Um, Stripes was not the Army. Okay, it was it was this comedic version of the army, and I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying that it's got to be. It, well, and stripes we stripes got us Private Benjamin. You had a whole I, a whole series of films like that because you had the Police Academy movies. You had um, oh, what was the other one? Because you had didn't wasn't there a wasn't there a medical one too? I don't oh, remember. I, I, yeah, I there was know. there was a whole bunch of stuff that, that came out of this. The thing is, is that it's when you're going to do this kind of broad thing that that especially since that time, you know, we've had we've had so many more people who have served in the military because we had we've we've you know been to Iraq and Afghanistan and there's the there's there's lots of humor that can be mined in this kind of story because yeah. it's been done before, um, but it's it's tricky. And you got to get it right. Um, <laughs> and if you're, if it's, it's one of those balancing acts because if it's, if it's too unrealistic, people are like, no. And if it's too realistic, it, well, there's lots, it becomes a different kind of comedy, you yeah. know? I think it's, I'm, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying I'm not sure how they would make it work. Yeah. <laughs> Dave says, Private Benjamin started as a movie and went to a TV show and ugh. <laughs> well, yeah. so there's a long history. There, there's a long <laughs> history of movies being turned into TV shows. And 
Um, uh, I mean, Mash did it. Mash did it. V did not successfully do it. Um, Christopher is asking if I have no love for the two Manos Hands of Fate sequels. I was not aware that Manos Hands of Fate had sequels. Uh, but no, I've not, I've not seen any of those. I've seen Manos Hands of Fate. I have not seen any sequels. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that you could do MASH now. I mean, you especially couldn't run it as long as it did. No. Well, no, I think, I think that you could do it on a streaming service if they were like super committed. But again, I think we, like we've talked about before, it's really, when you only had so much television real estate, mm-hmm. you held on to the successful program for as long as you could, sometimes to the detriment of the show. Yeah. Um, and of course, MASH was that kind of thing. But also you look at MASH was one of those, those TV shows that if you look at the three different versions, the book, the film, and the TV show, it's like Douglas Adams. All three of them are very different from each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the book, as as funny as the book is, the characters in the book are mean. <laughs> it is dark. I mean, it's it's funny, but it's dark. Yeah. Um, and the film is, of course, much, much there's a there's a lot more mean-spirited humor than in the TV show. But all of them have their have their strengths and they all tell that kind of story in a very interesting way. But if you watch the TV show and you're like, I'm gonna read the novel. <laughs> be warned. <laughs> it's not yeah. it's a definite it's a it's a bit of a mood shift. The the lovable characters of the TV show, not quite so lovable in the book. Well, and and Mash evolved so much over the mm-hmm. years where it was where it was on the on the air. It was. Mm-hmm. Well, not... Alan Alda, Alan Alda really directed that show yeah. in a certain way that and and charted the direction of that show as well. Um, and I think that 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 worked out very well for for that particular incarnation of that story. So. Yep. Um, but I mean, there's just you look at oh my god, uh, there's just so much neat stuff in here. Space Jam. I haven't seen a new Legacy. Sorry, guys. I haven't um, either. I, I I don't feel a whole lot of desire to. Um, and it just it's it it, it, it you talk about films that that you're like I oh, don't no, okay that's a thing, um, and and <clears throat> I kind of felt the way about the first Space Jam too. It's not it's not me dissing the 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 distant sequel. It's the fact that the first one, I was like, okay, I saw it. I was like, okay, the animations that that's cool, but it's no Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you like it, that's great. I'm, there's a huge Space Jam has got such a beloved audience, you know, who people who love that movie, and that's great. It's just okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm a I mean, I'm aware. there's just there's just so much uh, that these oh. guys have done that yeah. you know where do you, where do you where do you point and say that's that's the one, you know? Well, and I think that I mean you you consider that that look, comedy is hard. All right, it is it is really really hard to have a successful career in comedy, mm-hmm. whether you're a stand up comedian 
or an actor on TV or an actor in a movie or a director or a writer, comedy is hard. We talk, mentioned Blazing Saddles. Mel, uh, Mel Brooks is <clears throat> one of the finest comedy filmmakers in all of film ever. And yet about the time that Robin Hood Men in Tights comes along, all the, the groundbreaking, really just just amazing way he, he dealt with comedy starts to not be as strong. You get a Dracula dead and loving it, and it's kind of like, yeah. what's happening here? Um, and and that's not to knock Mel Brooks. He's amazing. And and but the fact that that Reitman had so many com- successful comedies over the years. Um, that he, as a director, was able to to you know be the you know helm those stories or produce those stories. You know he clearly understood what worked in comedy more often than not. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and then, you know you look at his track record of the things that that hold up, mm-hmm. and it's these are not you know he doesn't have a whole list of fly by night never gonna never gonna remember them pictures you know these are these are movies that had weight to them you know some of them not all of them but he's got a few that you wouldn't remember like i mentioned you know yeah uh i mean cannibal girls i mean come although having read the synopsis for cannibal girls i think i want to watch it um just because it (laughs) seems like it's i mean it it's the kind of just really yeah, uh, exploitation film that could be fun to watch. Um, well, and but. and Reitman produced uh, Hitchcock with Anthony Hopkins as, yeah. uh, as as Alfred Hitchcock. Well, and you think about, I mean, so so we talk about comedies a lot, and of course he's so well known for that. But Up in the Air, mm-hmm. which was really one of those films. I mean, uh, this was two thousand and nine. It was. I'm, it wasn't George Clooney's most uh, first serious role. But I think it was one of the films where it actually made people look at Clooney and go, oh, he's an actor. Yeah. And he can really act. Um, and it's a, I, I, I mean, it's. Wasn't that Jason, wasn't that Jason's first film as a director? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jason's first film. Uh, Ivan produced it. Well, they shot um, part of it here. Yeah. It's. And it's the first film um, uh, that I ever saw Vera Farmiga in. And I was like, she's, you're, you come across an actor and you sit there and go, ooh, what else have they done? And that was mm-hmm. the, the first time I saw her in that film. I was like, who is this person? Yeah. How did I not know about this person? Um, and of course, she's gone on, gone on to do some some really fantastic work. But she's, now he did uh, produce, she's she, Kate Bishop's mom in Hawkeye. Right, right. And she was uh, she was the mother in the Bates Motel TV series that that ran uh, recently, and she was really good. Um, now he was responsible for producing the Baywatch movie, so <laughs> it's hit and miss. We have to, you know, you got you take the you take the bad with the good. Hey, you know what? Uh, the, the, here's here's the thing: is that if you've ever made a film, you know there are two types of producers. Yeah, there's the one with the money. And they're very important. And those are the ones who get things done. They actually produce the film. 
Um, and if you uh, you look at his you look at his track record and the things that he actually did produce as well as provide the money for, he was that kind of producer as well. He actually showed up. You know, he would he would make sure that the thing happened. Yeah. And that takes a lot more than just throwing money at it. So um, definitely a uh, um, a well-earned career. And of course, I forgot, completely forgot that he was the executive producer for David Cronenberg's Rabid, <laughs> which is one of the early Cronenberg's 1977, but it's the Cronenberg body horror uh, period that, that really made Cronenberg a star. Yeah, he really, really carved out his space in the horror in the horror space, the horror sphere. And I mean, you know, even then, you know, we think of we think of Reitman as as comedy, but he uh, he didn't just do comedy. He didn't. He wasn't just responsible for for working on comedy stuff. He had his he had his good other moments playing other genres. It's like Sam Raimi. You know, he's got oh, you know. Everybody, everybody thinks Sam Raimi. uh, uh, You're doing the Spider-Man movies, but Raimi has got horror chops and you know, they're looking well, at the, yeah. they're looking at the trailer for, for Dr. Strange too. And they're like, Oh, of course this is Sam Raimi. They're going to let him do a horror movie at Marvel. So, <clears throat> you know what? I mean, the, the, the fact that, you know, there were people, and again, we talk, we talk about how, how, how fans react to things. We talked about that before various times. Mm. But there were people who, when the, when they were like, Sam Raimi's going to direct Spider-Man, they're like, how does that work? Yeah, right. How does the evil dead guy direct Spider-Man? Yeah. And it's like, well, it's like he did Darkman, you guys. Come on. Because yeah. they wouldn't let him do the shadow. Christopher says, looking and- forward to the Orphan prequel and Vera's performance, even if it's just a bit part. That's I have I haven't heard anything about that one lately. So it started filming... Uh, the last bit of news, I think we talked about it on on uh, Good Morning Multiverse uh, a couple weeks back, a couple, three weeks back. It had begun filming, and I have not seen much since then. Um, there's been a, there was an interview with, with the star, her name mm-hmm. alludes me at the moment, um, talking about how they used de-aging technology, because it's a prequel to the first film, right. and while she is a small... She's she's a she's a slight person and she looks younger than she is. Um, a few years have passed since the original film, so they had to not only take her back to the way she looked in the movie, but how she looked before the movie uh, for the character's age. And she was talking about that process and how interesting it was. So, but yeah, and there'll there'll be more more news about Orphan, the Orphan prequel, um, because I mean that's. It's, that's another horror film, folks. If you haven't if you haven't checked uh, seen it, I, I encourage you to check out Orphan. Yeah. It's evil kids, man. And we're get, <laughs> and we're getting more Orphan Black too. That's exciting. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. Well, and, and if you and if you are still looking for more Orphan Black and you're you're not willing to wait, there's an Orphan Black uh, audio drama. Yep, yep. It's what six, and, six episodes. Something like that, yeah. Um, with with the the people you would expect to find involved in Orphan Black, so uh, it's not like these are just people. This is a whole different story. With uh, no, it's it's, we should, it's the voices you expect. We should probably do. Uh, we should probably do a show about Tatiana Maslany and Orphan Black. Uh, you know, <laughs> so I'm 
I am, I was disappointed we didn't get any She-Hulk anything mm. during the Super Bowl. I'm, I am not complaining about what we got. There were some cool trailers. Okay, I'm complaining a little bit. I, there was not enough new Moon Knight material. There's a Sorry. lot of people who are upset we didn't get a Kenobi trailer. Mm, okay, I, I, I would see that that could be an issue. But I was like, where's my She-Hulk trailer? The <laughs> right? re- give me my, where's my real She-Hulk trailer? I'm, 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 the I'm John tenta- Byrne She-Hulk trailer. I am tentatively <laughs> excited about this show because I'm looking forward to see what she's going to do with the part. She's one of those actresses that, yeah. I mean, even, even if the show is not going to be good, she's going to be fun to watch because she really is so talented. Yeah, she is. Um, and I'm I'm optimistic about I mean the, their quality the quality of the Marvel shows has been overall pretty good. So I mean there's some some high points and low points, but I mean the overall it upper level stuff, right? So I'm not wor- so worried, but at the same time it's like give me more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to leave our audience saying give me more and uh, we're going to head out uh, for this evening, I want to thank everybody who has been in the chat. I see Dave, Christopher, American Comics, uh, all of you. Good to see you here. And I do invite you and ask and request that you share this video with your friends so we can uh, we can get our subscriber count numbers up. We're at 1999 again. Share it with your friends. Inflict it on your enemies. That's right. That's right. I tell you what. Let me let me do this. I want to look real quick. And yep, nope, we're still at 1999. So, uh, but at least we're back to 1999. We lost like four or five there and had to had to go back. So, uh, so we're almost almost at 2000. So, wait, we're at 1999, and the movie Moonfall opened. <laughs> wait, a I don't, I don't, I don't think the two are connected. <clears throat> just, I'm just saying that there's this, you know, if Martin Landau shows up, I'm... right? <laughs> there's been an explosion on the moon, <laughs> but the moon is fake. It's an egg, <laughs> and it's crashing into the earth. That's right. All right. That's so... a, that is a very fickle moon. I would like to. I, it, it, it... <laughs> right. Make up your mind. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, you can send us feedback via email, h2o at sci-fi for me.com, or you can leave a comment. We do also want to invite you to follow us over on Odyssey because you never know, YouTube could shut us down tomorrow because YouTube is fickle that way. So, anyway... So there we are. And we've also Fate got... Fate is a fickle mistress, oh, and so is. is YouTube. And we've got all of these social media platforms, all these video platforms, and a newsletter to sign up for. And if you want to send us money, we got a couple of ways you could do that, too, through a tip jar and PayPal and Subscribestar and, and that sort of thing. So none of that is an obligation, of course. We're just glad you're here. We're glad you keep coming back. And those of you who are listening to this as a podcast... You know, you're free to check out the live video on Monday nights if uh, if you uh, so choose. And we'll do this all again hey, and it, maybe next week. If you're, if you're listening on, on the podcast version, guys, give us a rating. Give us a comment. Yes. Um, again, I know everybody, everybody on the listening sphere hears this all the time. But seriously, 
this is how the algorithm works. Yeah, right. Comments and uh, ratings do help people find the show. Well, so and please. I have, I have, I still have a hard time <clears throat> asking people to say nice things about us, you know, and, or, or, or at least some kind of a comment or a thumbs up or whatever. And I have to, I have to remind myself, this is how this works, you know. That's because, right. You know, and, and, and while, while the, the algorithm in YouTube is, is, arcane and mysterious and probably involves some sort of animal sacrifice <laughs> um the the podcast the podcast thing is pretty straightforward yeah. so yeah we, pre we appreciate you guys watching and we appreciate you guys yeah and that's gonna do it for us we'll head out and watch our show social medias we'll make announcements with regard to whether or not we're going to do a show next week and uh in the meantime have a great week we will be back again this has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 